Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each and every day. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, part two of the roster review, taking a look at the offensive side of the ball. We did defense yesterday. Today, we'll go to the offensive side and look at the traits that make Miami who they are on that side of the football. We'll talk about jersey numbers and really get into the weeds of the X's and O's. All of that and more on this Tuesday, May the 12th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And yesterday we talked about the defensive makeup of this team. We'll get to the offensive side here real quick. But first, I want to read off these notes from Daniel Jeremiah, which he shared a while back on his Twitter account at Move the Sticks. It was a scouting notebook on the type of players preferred at each level. Now, it comes from Bill Belichick, but what we know about his background spans all the way back to the Bill Parcells era with those New York Giants defenses of the 80s as well as the 90s. You've got some Nick Saban fingerprints on this and Brian Flores, who still technically was the last person to hold the defensive coordinator title there in New England. So you've got fingerprints from coaches all around the football landscape on these particular notes from Daniel Jeremiah. And he shared these on Twitter. I want to say it was about a month ago. So it's not like it's a secret or anything. They're out there for you to consume. But it says this, defense middle of the field first. Pressure up the middle better than running outside the quarterback. Third down cover linebacker or sixth defensive back. Size, power, quickness inside. Size over speed on the outside. Outside linebacker, big rangy guy if you can get them. Usually first round picks. Settle for guys who can stay on the line. Long arms, quick hands, size, speed, athletic ability. Inside linebacker, play in close quarters. Instinctive, explosive tacklers that face up and can knock guys back. Play zone. Good blitzers, smart players need instincts over intelligence. At safety, tacklers, 200 pounds, 4.5 to 4.640 range. Need range deep, don't need mental giants. Size, speed guys have to be able to cover man-to-man. Former corners moved inside ideally if they have size. Ball skills and judgment are essential more than speed and athleticism. Cornerback, tackle and force guys to the ground. Need a pure cover corner, 5'10 and up. Small cover guy is a liability. Intelligence on defense, not a great factor. And then defensive back in total, have to work together like a great offensive line. Teamwork and unselfishness, cohesive trust. So you just go back over that list. We talked about the safeties moving inside. That's Eric Rowe in a nutshell right there. A good cover guy that has the speed that can condense inside and cover guys up and play in tight to the box. The linebacker position, I was thinking Elandon Roberts and Raekwon McMillan for guys that can line up and knock dudes in the mouth. The cover linebackers like Jerome Baker and Kamu Gruje-Hill. Physical, long cornerbacks on the outside. You just see so many notes about this defense that kind of fit that model and fit that making of some of the best defensive minds across football really 
going back over the last two or three decades. Now, there's an article up on NFL.com, and this all leads to the same idea, written by Greg Rosenthal, and I talked about it on the show yesterday. You look at any potential package you might want to run, the 4-2-5 variations off that with Big Nickel, 3-3-5 variations off that with Bear Fronts and several other front options you have. There are different looks up front, and all of these are going to refer to the alignment and the assignment and the job of each player, rather. So stay with me here while we get into the weeds for just a moment. You're probably used to having two defensive formations drilled into your head as a football fan. I mean, even the video games like Madden, for instance, they're going to tell you 4-3 or 3-4, and that's pretty much it. But the fact of the matter is, in today's sub-package world, those formations are really pretty antiquated. You'll still see them, but they have become the subest of sub-packages, if you will, if that's even a word. So we know how much nickel defense is played. That's been the base defense for quite some time now. In the last four or five years, teams have began to utilize more dime packages and even dollar packages, which is seven defensive backs on the field. So if you have six or seven DBs out there, that means what? You only get four bodies up front, right? So you've got seemingly countless variations of 3-2 or 2-3. Even on the Rosenthal article, he has the Patriots starting projected lineup listed as a 2-4 base defense. You've got 3-3, you've got 4-2, you've got 5-1. I mean, literally any combination you want to think about, you can use. So stay with me here again. This is all going to come back to be Dolphins related, I promise And then within each of those packages, you can have any variation of alignment, assignment, and then also the coverage on the back end. But that's not something we're concerned about right now with all the moving parts for the sake of this argument, for the sake of this idea. And the reason I want to make this stuff clear is you're probably going to see depth charts or starting lineup projections from now until the season starts and wonder why player X isn't listed there. But rest assured, a lot of players are going to play a lot in this defense. It's a sub-package league, right? Lots of guys coming off the bench and getting fresh, or staying fresh rather, and getting in the game. And Flores preaches multiplicity, maybe didn't have the parts he wanted to be as multiple as he could have been last year, but now he does have those parts. And I think that the goodwill he built up by his coaching performance last season, you understand why you'd be willing to listen when he tells you, this is what I want for the defense that I want to run. So for the sake of entertaining podcast purposes, I won't run down a list of all the different defensive fronts you can run, but there are a variety of different looks you can give opposing offenses, and all it really boils down to is different guys playing different positions across the defensive line. We all know about techniques and positions, right? The zero plays up over the nose. That's your zero technique. The widest position you can play is the nine. That's what Cam Wake used to rush from here, the wide nine technique, and then every single alignment inside of those two positions refers to the number three, five, whatever it might be. You've got zero technique all the way through nine technique, and you have so many different options where a safety comes down and joins that group, or a linebacker comes down off the edge, or you mirror it called twins packages, where you have two of the same technique alignments on either side. You've got bigger, heavier defensive ends playing in more bare fronts, where you might have a head-up person lined up over the center, as well as two big defensive ends lined up over each guard as two techniques. So you have multiple fronts you can run, multiple different defensive alignments, and that's why you need so much depth and so many different parts that can rotate into the defense and play in this sub-package league.
All of this is to say Miami's active offseason, adding a premium price free agent cornerback and then another cornerback in the first round, then another defensive back in the third round of the draft, then you sign two more DBs in Clayton Fedulum and Kayvon Frazier, then you go out and you get Kyle Van Noy, Alandon Roberts, and Kamu Grugier-Hill when Baker, McMillan, Beagle all showed some bite last year on top of Andrew Van Ginkle and Trent Harris giving you some solid work down the stretch as well. Or adding Curtis Weaver and Jason Strobridge after you signed Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson. Again, all of this is to say there are a lot of jobs on this defense and the ability to pull out whichever package you see fit for that particular week, for that particular opponent, and you alter your snap counts accordingly, your calls, your assignments, your expectations for each player each week accordingly. That flexibility is invaluable in this defensive scheme. And that, my friends of the FIND, is my long-winded segue into part two of the roster review as we take a look at what the offense wants to be for your Miami Dolphins under Chan Gailey. And look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know exactly what Gailey's system or plan is going to be for the season. We just don't have the evidence to go ahead and make those guesses and projections. And who the hell are we to do that in the first place? But he's operated under quite literally every system under the sun created in the football landscape across several decades. And he was the original pioneer of the spread game incorporating into the professional ranks back in 2008 with the Chiefs when he coached up Tyler Thigpen into a passable quarterback that season. He then later, of course, brought that same system to Buffalo with Ryan Fitzpatrick and then again to the Jets a few years after that, again with Fitz. And what's the one thing Chan Gailey teams have done consistently well over his entire career, really? run the football. He had the unenviable task of creating an offense in the post-Dan Marino era here in Miami, and all he does is get 1,139 yards out of Lamar Smith and 1,900 rushing yards out of that team in 2000, and then 1,700 yards in 2001. That, of course, the two years prior to Ricky Williams' arrival and Chan's departure from the Dolphins. And just so we're clear on this, Lamar had 1,139 rushing yards and 968 rushing yards those two years. His next highest totals in an eight-year career, 737, 680, and 457. So Chan Gailey got mega production out of Lamar Smith compared to the rest of his career. And if you can add some rushing production to the offense this year, based upon what they did last year with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Albert Wilson, Isaiah Ford, on and on and on, Mike Gesicki at tight end, don't forget him there either. If you get some rushing production as well, man, you've got a balanced offense and you become infinitely more difficult to deal with because Fitzpatrick was the leading rusher of the team last year. And a lot of that, and frankly, a lot of the offense's production, well, scratch that, most of it was from Fitzpatrick creating or getting the football out quick enough to where the rush was pretty much irrelevant. Fitz, with that quick processor and the fact that he's a good ball handler, that bodes well for the RPO game, the run-pass option game, and the quarterback Miami drafted, I think most of you have heard of him by now, Tua Tungavailoa, has been lauded almost universally as the best RPO quarterback the college game really ever saw. We've heard that from analysts, coaches that coached for him, coaches that coached against him, players that played with him, and guys that played against him. It's pretty well known out there. Type in Tua Tungavailoa RPO into Google. You're going to get some glowing praise. Josh Rosen and Jake Rudock have seen RPO in their careers as well. 
And then the RPO game, you've got an offensive line that blocks for the run and the pass is the quarterback's option. So the quarterback has to make that snap decision because, well, if he holds the ball, then you're liable for an ineligible man downfield penalty. And once again, to go back to the Move the Sticks podcast, both DJ and Bucky have talked at length on their show about defensive-oriented coaches, like Brian Flores, having a preference towards the type of quarterbacks that they find most difficult to defend against. So last year, with Fitz constantly creating against difficult situations, and with Tua demonstrating that regularly in college, you can see the thinking there, because RPO is designed to get false steps out of the defense. You move people against their will with that sheer power, which we'll talk about here in just one second, and have that success running the football, then all of a sudden you get linebackers taking a step forward and that creates lanes in the passing game. Creating indecision in this league is the best way to have offensive success. We saw it with the Rams back in their Super Bowl year when Sean McVay condensed a lot of those packages and formations in tight. That creates natural rubs. It creates communication issues and zone. Just gives teams a whole fits of situations to deal with. Then you've got last year with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan's Super Bowl team that used pre-snap motion and tons of window dressing to move the defense and create passing lanes that way. Just go look at their playoff game against the Vikings. It was constant. A guy that would short motion real quick, move a linebacker, and they throw right in behind that linebacker. It all sounds super complex, but it's all done with the same idea in mind. Deception to open up lanes. That's what RPO is, and that's something the Dolphins, I think, are well-equipped to do this year. And I'll tell you why the offensive line is so equipped to excel in that package here in just one moment. But first, that's not the only thing this offense can be. We've got quarterbacks that have played under center in a play-action heavy game. We've ran out of the pistol. We've seen just about everything. This offensive line can run power. You're going to get backside pulls, typically a pin and pull idea where the front side pins, the backside pulls, and tries to get a down block on a linebacker or a defensive end and just run it down the team's throat with Jordan Howard, who is an absolute load to bring down. But he also has the vision and patience to make zone systems work. And if you want to zone back, well, look no further than Matt Breida, who was a serious home run hitter in the world-renowned zone scheme of Kyle Shanahan and those 49ers last year, a 13-3 team who mowed through the playoffs and had a two-touchdown lead, I think it was, in the Super Bowl. He's also a dangerous pass-catching back, and Howard is very well-versed in that area as well. So you have two backs that can flex out and run for uh, run routes into the pattern. You've got a tight end in Mike Gesicki who can play in line. He can play Y, the slot. He can line up as your X into the boundary. You see where this is going here? You've got skill players that allow you to play from a variety of formations from the same personnel grouping. So the defense sees one back, one tight end, and three wide receivers on the field. That's 11 personnel, by the way, one back, one tight end. And typically speaking, you match that with nickel personnel, five defensive backs to match up accordingly with those three receivers. But if we condense it, suddenly you've got a tight end blocking a defensive back and a power back in Jordan Howard to run against a light box. Or you go the opposite direction. You can flex Howard or Matt Breida out into the pattern. And now you've got empty five wide against a nickel defense who is under 
command to cover five routes. And the permutations here are really limitless in their own right, not to mention Uncle Vante, who can play any position on your offense at receiver. Preston was getting work as both the X and the Z last year. Albert Wilson, by the way, restructured to stay here. How about them apples? He can play literally any position on offense besides, well, the line. He can play slot. X, Z, H-back, tailback, wildcat, trigger man, and Jakeem Grant. Well, he's in the same boat because he's electric as all get out. And in those two guys, you've got two really good options as your jet sweep guy on some wildcat action. And speaking of wildcat, what about Malcolm Perry in that formation? Isaiah Ford does a little bit of everything. Alan Hearns plays inside, outside. So you've got flexibility all over the offense too. You can be a power run team one week. You can be an RPO team the next and a spread attack the following week. Just depends on who you're playing. So those are the core tenets of the skill spots. We have the running back acquisitions to go off of. And I think you just look at both those guys as scheme diverse players. The only wide receivers added were undrafted free agents. So not a lot to glean there. But I mean, the versatility at that position is quite apparent. We know what the quarterbacks can do. How about the idea behind the offensive line? Well, I mean, it's beef. That's what's for dinner. Let's just run down the weights of these offensive linemen. Austin Jackson, 317. And mind you, he didn't have an offseason last summer. I am sure he can gain more weight on top of that frame if they ask him to and if he has to. Eric Flowers, 329. That's a big dude. Ted Karras, 305 inside. Jesse Davis, 325. Robert Hunt, 323. Solomon Kinley, 339. Hercules, Hercules. Julian Davenport, 329. Michael Dieter, 310. Adam Pankey, 313. Danny Isadora, 306. Keaton Sutherland, 316. Shaq Calhoun, 310. And how about the undrafted center this year in Donnell Stanley, 324. That's massive for a center. And we rounded out with the other two undrafted free agents in Nick Kaltmeyer, who goes 313, and Jonathan Hubbard, who goes 292 on the scales. And again, position flexibility is there. Flowers has played four offensive line spots throughout his college and pro career. Jesse Davis is in the exact same boat. He actually flipped back and forth from right and left tackle, depending on strong side in college there at Idaho. Robert Hunt has played tackle and guard. Ted Karras has played guard and center. Michael Dieters played everywhere, including two spots last year on the Dolphins' offensive line. Solomon Kinley was a right guard at first, then a left guard his last two years there at Georgia. That sheer size, that dense frame, and lower body explosion works the same way it does on the other side of the ball we talked about yesterday on defense. One, volume, and just by basic science, yeah, science, Mr. White, creates less space to rush from, especially on the interior. Watch teams try to bull rush Solomon Kinley at Georgia, for instance. They've got nowhere to go because he takes up the whole damn gap. A sturdy anchor certainly helps there too. But they've got those leaping metrics and pure power to drive people off the football, power run game, RPO, gap scheme. But to make it even more flexible, what did pretty much every pundit say about each of these Dolphins additions up front on the offensive line? Quote, for a big man, he is quite nimble, end quote. And I think that's kind of a slight because big or not, these guys are athletic. You can look at testing metrics and that'll help the cause a little bit, but man, the tape does the work for you. Kinley rolls up on dudes at the second level there in college. So does Austin Jackson. Watch that freak of nature out in space. You get the same sense that Larry Little told me on Friday's podcast about his mentality on defensive backs and how bloodthirsty he gets seeing those guys out in open space. And then Robert Hunt's college tape is about as silly as it comes down there 
at Louisiana Lafayette. Ted Karras does a good job getting out in space in his own right. We talked about that way back on his free agent podcast interview where he said those plays out in space were his favorite along the offensive line. So flexible, mauling athletes up front, positionless receivers that can uncover quickly, smart quarterbacks with good ball handling and process who can vacate the spot and make plays under pressure, backs that keep the entire playbook open on all three downs. Flores and company have no problem telling you what they want to be and they are turning over every stone to try to become that vision they have for this football team. Let's go ahead and get out of the weeds now. We went through 42 players on the roster on defense yesterday. There are 43 on the offense and three guys on the special teams, giving you a grand total of 88 players on the current roster. And real quick on those specialists, Matt Hawk, Jason Sanders, and Blake Ferguson, we talk about versatility, and this might sound like a branch too far, but I mean, how many trick plays did those guys execute last year? Just the more you can do, man. Like, it's a theme all the way from the top down to the bottom. Even me, like, I work for the team, and I do video, I do podcasts, I write. The more you can do, the better, right? That's the entire vision of the Miami Dolphins organization. So even the specialists have that working for them in their back pocket. The quarterback position, we go Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua Tungavailoa, Josh Rosen, and Jake Rudock. Obviously, Tungavailoa, the only addition of the offseason, a rookie, the fifth overall pick in the draft. We talked about what we have in this position group, smart guys, a good quarterback room that can really learn and grow from one another. I think that's going to be a big factor going forward, especially in this virtual offseason we have. At the running back position, again, just flexibility and versatility, man. Jordan Howard, Matt Breida can run out of any scheme. Miles Gaskin ran a power scheme there at UW, but also caught passes. He can do multiple things. Malcolm Perry on that list as well. You want to talk about versatility, he is versatility defined. Kalen Balaj and Patrick Laird, DeLance Turner and Chandler Cox, the fullback. A bunch of guys in that room that can do multiple things. There's eight backs on the roster, four quarterbacks, five tight ends, Mike Gasicki and Durham Smythe, the 2018 draft picks. Michael Roberts was a free agent addition before the combine. He's on that list. Chris Myrick, mostly on the practice squad last season out of Temple. And Bryce Sterk, an undrafted free agent there on the tight end group. Wide receivers, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Isaiah Ford, and Alan Hearns. Those guys remain unchanged from a year ago. I think you really have to love the progress and the upside of that group from a year ago. And then Mac Hollins, Gary Jennings, and Ricardo Lewis were all on the roster at one point or another last year. Injuries knock some of them out preseason and in the season. And then we have two UDFAs, the only additions to this group this offseason, and Kirk Merritt and Matt Cole. On the offensive line, you've got 15 guys here to make up the rest of the 43 players on the offensive roster. Austin Jackson was a first-round draft pick. Eric Flowers... I think he was the Dolphins' first free agent acquisition, if I recall correctly. Ted Karras, another signing on the offensive line. So all three of those guys brand new to the team this year. Jesse Davis, really the veteran incumbent of the group who got that contract extension last summer. He really embodies what they want these guys to be in terms of toughness, smart players, guys that communicate well, guys that lead by example, and guys that keep their head down and work. Robert Hunt, also a draft pick, the 39th pick in this year's draft. Michael Dieter, he was a draft pick last year in the third round. Julianne Davenport on the roster came over in the Tunzel and Stills trade. Solomon Kinley, your rookie guard, drafted in the fourth round. Adam Pankey was an in-season signing last year. Danny Isadora, a trade acquisition before the season. Keaton Sutherland was signed in training camp as well. Shaq Calhoun was an undrafted rookie last year. And then the three UDFAs, Donnell Stanley, Nick Kaltmeyer, 
and Jonathan Hubbard round out your offensive line and your offensive roster. And let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with some jersey numbers in case you missed it. And every year after training camp concludes and guys have been cut, you're going to see jersey numbers change. So we'll probably see more of that this year. And we actually saw four jersey number changes when all this got handed out last week. Ryan Lewis, the cornerback, goes from 24 to 29. Patrick Laird goes from 42 to 32. DeLance Turner goes from 34 to 41. And James Crawford goes from 51 to 57. So those are the four changes ahead of this season. We also have plenty of rookie and veteran numbers for all the draft picks and uh, veteran acquisitions. The veterans, Byron Jones, he'll wear 24. Matt Breida is going to wear 20. Jordan Howard's going to wear 34. Kayvon Frazier, number 35. Clayton Fedulum, 42. Elandon Roberts, 44. Kamu Gruje-Hill, 51. Kyle Van Noy, 53. Ted Karras, 67. Eric Flowers, 75. Michael Roberts, 89. Shaq Law, 90 and Emmanuel Ogba 91. As for your rookies, quarterback Tua Tungavailoa going to wear jersey number one. Malcolm Perry wearing 10. Brandon Jones will wear 45. Noah Igbenogany will wear 50, 46 rather. Blake Ferguson will wear 50. Jason Strobridge 58. Kylan Johnson wearing 59. Tyshon Render, the undrafted defensive lineman, will wear 64. Solomon Kinley wore 66. Robert Hunt, 68. And then Jonathan Hubbard will wear 71. Donnell Stanley, 72. Austin Jackson, 73. Ray Lima, 76. Nick Kaltmeyer wears 79. And then Matt Cole, 82. And Kirk Merritt, the two receivers, he'll wear 83. The rookie tight end, Bryce Sterk, will wear 87. Benito Jones will wear 95 on the defensive line. Curtis Weaver wears 96. And second-round draft pick Raekwon Davis will wear 98. So those are your jersey numbers. That's your offensive and defensive breakdowns here on this week's edition of the Drive Time Podcast. We're going to come back on Thursday and do a mailbag edition. We'll talk about rookie contracts as well. Plenty more to get to this week, as well as the flashback on Friday, taking a look at another classic Miami Dolphins game. All of that to come and more. But as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, and put those questions for the mailbag in the reviews. Give us a five-star review. We'll read it here on the air and answer your question. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.